correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm Steve. Over there is Steve. Hello. And over there is an honorary Steve. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> welcome to the Three Steve Podcast with Changing <laughs> <laughs> It's so, the all uh, Steve hour, all Steve, all the time. The, uh, the voice y'all are hearing is our friend Brett Bowen from Studio 404 Games and uh, Assorted Other Madness. <laughs> he's joining us for this episode, and he, he, he's got some things to talk about. Uh, but before we get into all that, Steve, uh, we want to do our, our little shout out for another podcast here on the D20 Radio Network. Yeah, we do, and I'm going to throw it right back to you because you got it right in front of you. It's I the do, really, actually. I have it called up right on the screen in front I of me. I am terrible with the name of their podcast. I love those guys. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> well, I think it's the longest podcast name on the network. Yes. It is the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, which uh, you know you did hear uh, a couple months back. We had the, the host of that show on with us talking about Exalted, which is what they do on their show. They're really, really entertaining. They get really in-depth on Exalted. And quite frankly, they scare me in how much they know about it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what White Wolf does best. (laughs) There's a spaceship that is also a god. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Exalted does some cool stuff. (laughs) It's a really, really good show. Uh, Rials and Aramithius are the names of the hosts. Uh, Very, very fun people. They also have that wonderfully fun British accent. Yes, that's where they're from. But yeah, so yeah, you can find that show and others. You know, just go to the D20 Radio Network page, click on the podcast tab. You can also check out the blog and also the other fun stuff that's there. So that's all that. Uh, Yeah. And as we kind of, yes, Brett has become an honorary Steve this time because it is his third appearance on the show and I still haven't made a silly sounder for all that. (laughs) I suppose I should, but you know. I've been thinking about it for a while as it's been, you know, I've been at the two mark for some time now. And I've been thinking about like, how would I introduce the, st- the show? It's like, hi everybody. My name is Steve and have the voice be completely different than every other show. <laughs> and with me tonight is Steve and the other Steve. You remember the, night, the time we made Huli intro the show? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> but at least he's, you know, been on a podcast before, so he knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, you have too. That's how you got to be an honorary Steve. No, he's run a podcast. I've, oh, run, well, yeah. I've run television from behind the camera. Very different. <laughs> eh, potato, potato. <laughs> potato, tomato, something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So what are we going to talk about this week, Brett? Because to make a long story really, really short, my week has been chaotic as all heck. Mm-hmm. Steve just got his voice back. And so calling you was initially a last ditch effort of, oh, crap, who can I talk to? And we'll figure something out. But as it turns out, you have a very good reason to come talk to us. I, I do. Uh, Studio 404 and I have a great announcement that we've been waiting for a very long time to say, uh, which is that our product, Anarchy in Dragon City, which is a cyber fantasy, cyberpunk fantasy setting that we've been putting together for many years now, is slated to release on Cyber Monday, which is November 27th of 2023. Mm-hmm. We've been building this since like just before the pandemic started as when we really launched the ideas when uh, we were listening to uh, Opti and his Neo-Arnicus podcast talking about the Shadowrun world and how awesome the world and setting is and then found out exactly how problematic the Shadowrun rules are. (laughs) Uh, So my wife and I were doing a lot of driving to go here and there and the other place to get to uh, shuffle our daughter around. Uh, and we started talking while she was sleeping and we're like, you know, we have this gaming company. We could write up our own setting and set it up to the Genesis rules and, uh, make it work in the game system that we love the most. So we started coming up with this amazing world that is not much unlike our own, but far flung future 
where a magical apocalypse has occurred. Uh, ley lines sprung up and this wave of magic uh, devastated the world, killed millions of people and mutated people, which killed even more people uh, into these different species that are all magically affected. And it also mutated a bunch of the animals, either merging them together or changing them into like creatures of myth and legend that then challenged, shall we say, challenged humans uh, stance at the top of the food chain. Cool. Until in the particular case of the person telling the story at the beginning of the book, uh, a dragon, a literal dragon comes down and shelters them from the storm and brings them to a place to start to rebuild, which the dragon then uh, helps them to do. But he claims the entire place is his territory. So now you're living under a potentially immortal, draconic, benevolent dictator, I'm sure. Uh, in this particular situation, the walls are very high. They're all warded uh, to protect you from the ongoing magical storm that is still raging outside. So no one wants to go outside if they can help it. But the walls are hard to expand. So you're starting to deal with overcrowding and overpopulation and resources becoming scarce. But at the same time, the technology is advancing so much that uh, people are getting replaced with automation or uh, drones, stuff like that, that make it less necessary for humans to actually do the job, which challenges even more unemployment rates, which leads us to the players in the current uh, generation kind of have a lack of options. So they need to start freelancing to do odd jobs around the city. So they become what's known as lancers freelancers that buck the system, possibly stick it to the corpse, defend their territory from uh, gangs and such like that, and try to make themselves and their area, their particular neighborhood, a little bit better. Uh, that's the very long elevator ride to the uh, to the Skyrise uh, elevator pitch. <laughs> so it's sort of a post-post-apocalyptic in a way. Is it a term that's kind of in vogue of late, I think? Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of the recovery after the apocalypse has already occurred, and now we're dealing with that having, you know, the bloom having worn off the rose a little bit, perhaps. Right. Uh, it's very much sort of like, uh, in that regard, yes, it's post-apocalyptic, but the the problem is still ongoing. Sort of like what uh, happened, as most people understand, um, uh, The Walking Dead. Hmm. The first season, or the first couple of books, because I read the books first, it was very much about dealing with zombies and learning how to survive the zombies and find a place to, to shelter up and maybe rest, find food, stuff like that. A couple of seasons later, the zombies are a ter terrain feature. You know, everyone knows how to deal with them now and everyone has had to deal with them in one way or another. Pretty much most people are comfortable with killing a zombie, but they're still dealing with resources, which means they're competing against other people. So it becomes much more the conflict between people and dealing with those problems with the, feature of if you go out not properly prepared you have to deal with zombies trying to kill you cool. yeah i actually for whatever reason i never never got checked out the walking dead never really wanted to <laughs> i you know like i i know a lot of people love it and i'm not trying to to pan it or anything it's just never really appealed to me hmm. in my opinion i think it started very strong and the the show also started strong but it also started to divert from the books a lot fairly early on. Um, like I remember there was one actress who had a fight with the director, I think, and therefore was fired or left the show, whichever. Um, but she was actually a major character that lasted for much longer than she was in the show. for. Um, so they had to alter some things. Um, but that not being here or there, one of the big features that I'm trying to go for here that I'm emulating uh, uh, Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark had a whole bunch of things that introduced of mechanics and concepts and ideas that helped the the heist genre in role-playing games uh the big one is you can't leave town if you get into trouble you can't just skip town and ditch the heat that's coming for you you have to mm -hmm. stay somewhere in the city and deal with it one way or the other and that really appealed to me because i was always like okay so we just leave we go into the into the countryside for a little while let it simmer down while we're not there and then we go back into town and do it all over again mm -hmm. Well, you can't hear. <laughs> yeah, well, I also, I mean, like, I kind of sense, I mean, I know Phil, one of your partners in Studio 404, is a big Riffs fan, or has been. Oh, I, yeah. I feel some some Riffs in there, probably some Judge Dredd. Yep. 
you know, obviously, you know, you mentioned the shadow run kind of cyber fantasy kind of everyone's going to look at that and say shadow run because mm-hmm. it's kind of the granddaddy game of the genre. Agreed. Although in that regard, riffs is very similar. It's people call riffs much more of a kitchen sink because of everything you got in it, but it also has cyberware. It also has magic. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. So, I mean, like, but I've also, you know, like I've gotten to play test this with you a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got to say, I really, really had fun. The setting feels appropriately grimy and slimy and dirty, but not overly oppressive. You think okay. that's fair, Steve? I know you've gotten to play it once or twice at least. I got to play it once, um, but that was over the, I think it was two sessions, whatever we ended up doing. I think that's such a great setting. It is, I completely agree with you though. It is that like grimy. But it's it's the feeling of walking into the Apple store, understanding that you're getting robbed. (laughs) (laughs) It is it is that exact it is, man, it is gorgeous in here. It's too bad that this company is corporalistic evil, right? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's a compliment to a cyberpunk type genre game. Yeah, it's. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I will say that one challenge that I had when I was first doing playtesting um, is like, okay, the setting is supposed to be oppressive and you always get screwed over and this, that, and the other thing. I remember having like a session zero kind of check in with the players of like, all right, the setting is going to screw you. <laughs> it is it is supposed to be oppressive and horrible and things are not going to work out the way you want them to. I, the GM, am your friend, and I'm going to be a fan of the PCs and everything like that. I want to see you do well, but <laughs> but bad stuff is going to happen. You know, I think there's a lot of people who have trouble differentiating that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not an easy concept to necessarily understand because, you know, I think you get that in the, well, what, you know, like, I love to play horror games. Why? Right. You, you, you know, like, you're going to get mutilated and die or whatever. Well. Yeah, but the road getting there is entertaining as heck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's also a matter of, like, how long it lasts. I completely agree with that sentiment, not just for your game, but that's a lot of games. Trying to explain to people that, I'm sorry, but the setting is mean and nasty, and it's it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to hurt. Yeah. Um, and, and to admit, that's sort of the central pitch around, like, Morkborg and Cyborg, is that, like, mm-hmm. it's... It, but I, I, I love that you guys are taking... So not saying that you're you're inverse of Cyborg, but looking at you guys next to like your contemporaries like Cyborg. I love that game. Yeah, you guys are. That game is dirty, slimy, gross, nasty. Like you guys are a little bit more on the I feel like Anarchy and Dragon City is more on the the players could make a difference, but it's not going <laughs> to matter. Right. It, right. You hit that more uh, cyberpunk balance of um realistic optimism (laughs) yes thank you that's that's what we're really going for like one part of that is uh, a focus of it is the the cause chart uh very similar to the duty mechanic in uh age of rebellion uh star wars i really liked that mechanic of it was always giving you a well it had a chance of giving you a reward just for playing but it also reinforces the uh the feel of you have something inside of you that gives you a drive that is something you can actually make a difference of that you want to make a difference of and yeah one of those is like vigilante justice so for all you fighters out there that really just want to bust some heads you can do vigilante justice and do that just fine Uh, but other people are like they want to make sure that everybody gets a, a hot meal gets a roof over their head that they have enough education or maybe they get employed stuff like that there's all sorts of other ways you can help the community to make your area your your friends better which was sort of another there were a couple of key changes that i wanted to make from the normal way of doing things in a cyberpunk game like one of them was money for cyberware it caused this really weird system like uh if you go and play shadowrun especially on any of the the community play games they'll have this uh system for like exchanging uh karma which is their xp for cash because depending on which way you're going you either want more karma or you want more cash 
because cash gets you cyberware and karma can get you skills, magic, stuff like that. I have played some of these games as part of my research, and I found a couple of loopholes in the said systems. Uh, and I was like, no, nope, we're not going to do that. Everybody gets XP. And that's how you get your power up. <laughs> Everybody's working on one single track. Uh, so we created a whole bunch of uh, talents that are, you get a, you get this piece of cyberware working for you, which made it much easier to balance said things against other talents. Uh, and you don't have to spend your money on that. You can spend it on gear, equipment, or your community. No, that uh, that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways because on some level, as much as I love the setting in the world, like Cyberpunk 2020, Cyberpunk Red becomes a churn for cash. Yep. Which is, in a way, part of the dystopian over-corporateness that it's trying to portray. Mm -hmm. But it can also get very tiring in a game context. Right. The other problem that I ran into playing a cybernetic character in one of the Shadowrun games was, oh, it's a good thing I practically went into becoming an accountant when I was in high school. I, it was either go into film or go into accounting. And I decided to go with film instead. But I still have a lot of those math skills that help out in accounting. Good thing, too, because I'm basically doing accounting for my money in Shadowrun. It was a ridiculous amount of cash. <laughs> so, and they, look, the setting is awesome. You know, I've, I've played in it a couple times with you running the games. Uh, I, I Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, I will not get tired of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk? I know you have some some things you've done with what you're going to be putting out with the game that are a bit beyond what most creators are putting out for Genesis. And there's one process in particular that I don't know that you even would necessarily take credit for it, although you're the first person I've seen do it in Genesis. Oh, okay. Um, that I think is a just a good thing. So I don't know how much of that you want to get into, you know, as far as the, the features of the game, in addition to just the setting. I mean, the setting is cool. Mm -hmm. And I know you have some plans for that down the road, which we can get into at some point too, but yep. Uh, I think you're talking about the fact that we have uh, the careers and specializations, including specialization trees. Mm -hmm. That we're talking about. That is one of the things I'm talking about. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Basically, we ran into the problem of we knew we needed a lot more talents. We didn't know what we needed those talents to do, but we also knew that from the start we wanted to do talent trees uh, and the specializations that go with them. Partially because we knew we wanted to emulate. Uh, have you seen the TV show Leverage? I have. I, I liked it, but I have trouble finding it. I can't remember where it's streaming. Uh, I believe Hulu is the one putting out the new, uh, the relaunch. Okay. I didn't even know there was a relaunch. I'll have to check yep. that out. <laughs> yeah. I think most of the actors came back to do a relaunch. Um, I haven't caught it yet because of doing this instead. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the archetypes of uh, thieves that leverage introduced um, or made more publicly aware are the careers that we decide to go with. But then there's the angle of, okay, what if you were someone with magic who was a grifter? What would that look like? Okay, what if you were somebody with cyberware that was a grifter? What would that look like? How would that be different? What would be the mm -hmm. same? Stuff like that. And if you didn't have either of those, so what are you now? But you're still a grifter. You can still do the, these things. What's different? So again, for that one as an example, um, you have grifters who can become, uh, with no enhancements, they are con, uh, con artists, uh, with magic they are shapeshifters so they can change their appearance and, and uh, appear as other people and as with technology they are ghosts as in ghosts in the machine because they have the various uh tools and techniques to trick the computer into allowing them to do stuff that they shouldn't ought to do um or to okay yep your readout now says this so you this person or it's going to give me a benefit against the person that i'm lying to to get past this uh this guard post mm -hmm. stuff like that. So that also led to the challenge of, I know that there's different opinions about doing career uh, talent trees. Uh, so we also introduced a couple of talents to allow you to play the game in the pyramid scheme as well. Pyramid scheme, the pyramid build method. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, really for anarchy and dragon city pyramid scheme works just fine. Uh, <laughs> 
So that led to a couple of things of like, instead of these things innately occurring to this career, like you, you picked a magic career. Okay. You get the magic trait now. No problem. We instead made up talents that are the magic trait and, and explaining how that works. So if you do the pyramid method, you can just buy that talent, which is of course a first level talent. So you can have it right off the bat and then go from there. Well, I'm going to say, I really, really like the fact that you did the talent trees. And I know I've told you this, and I've, I've said it before, whether I've said it on the show or not. <laughs> I think a Genesis setting can benefit a lot from well-executed talent trees. Agreed. Because I think, while the reform creativity of, of the pyramid system is great, the talent trees are essential to Star Wars because what they do in Star Wars is they they outline the archetype you're going for. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't tell you your character has to be this, this, and this, but they give you a clear archetype to work off of, and that defines a setting so much more because, like, you're looking at that and going, oh, these are the type of people that live in this world, mm-hmm. as right. opposed to, here's a pile of stuff. Build your own character. <laughs> Which is fun. Even as someone who's, I would say at this point, I'm moderately familiar with the system, can be daunting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I absolutely despise talents in Genesis, and I know that's blasphemy, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think the talent trees are a million times better. I, I, I have run so many characters now that I'm like, well, my current character, I need to buy talents for him. I have like almost no talents on him because I don't know what to take and I don't know what's good. and what fits my character and to sit down and pour through the pages and pages and pages. It's give me a tree, give me a list, give me an option. I, right. I, I, I despise the setup in Genesis as it sits. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what is it called? The, the analysis paralysis. paralysis. Kind mm-hmm. of. Yes. That's basically That's, what it is. <laughs> yeah. The the pyramid is requiring a good deal, especially the more you know, every new book that comes out adds to the options. So you need to have that much more system mastery of knowing what all the options are before you do your investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, like just getting a point of toughness or a point of grit uh, is not a bad thing. And, you know, most characters should do it for just the five XP that it costs for a tier one. It's the buildup over time that might be more challenging, daunting, or a bit more of a decision-making process. But um, for the pick up and go for introducing a new character, new player to a game, I think the talent trees are a huge benefit uh, because it's just these are the 20 talents you have to worry about until you decide to buy a new tree. But we can mm-hmm. deal with that later. Um, <laughs> also, if you're like Steve, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to play the talent game. I'm going to play this. I'm going to play a skill game. This is Genesis now a skill based system for me. There are no talents. And you can do that. You just choose the right career and specialization that gives you the discounts on the skills that you want to do. And you're done. Now you just spend your XP on all your skills. I know that um, years ago, back at, um, I want to say like uh, Gamer Nation Con 2 or 3, I met somebody who had ex- that exact same mindset. Like, talents are a waste of XP. I just want to get my my key skill up to rank 5 as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't go for me, and I'm not discounting Steve's opinion here either. I wouldn't say that the talents are a waste, but Having the pyramid, it's kind of like, well, what do I want? And then you have, okay, how does does this talent from this book, does that apply in the setting my GM's running me in? Because it's their own game, and mm-hmm. do they want me to use this? Do they have, you know, and, and it, we could even be talking about some of the, the books that are, the you know, the Foundry books that are pretty widely recognized as the next best thing to official, you know, stuff like Ready Flight. Yep. You know, which like, you know, Keith does amazing work and has written a lot officially as well. But you know what I'm saying? It's still technically a fan made product. Right. And so at what point, you know, what do you want to have? What does your GM want to deal with? Do they have the book you're pulling from, <laughs> et cetera, and so on. Right. And it becomes the the splat game that D and D three five turned into. I was just yep. thinking that. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Like, oh, are I we using swords agree. and sorceries in this game? No, you're not. Put those books down. <laughs> you know, and, and if you don't mind me saying it, I will say the one thing that I've been excited about 
since you showed me a manuscript a long time ago mm-hmm. is the milestoning XP. Oh yes. I yes. love that. Uh, that is a key thing that I came up with because at this point, most of my gaming is like a, a work day evening, maybe four hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the, the, the double-edged sword of having things that are per encounter or per session, per session is really the big problem. Um, if it's something that's per session and you have a two or three hour session that has a vastly different power scale than if it's a six hour session or longer that you get to do on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So the balancing factor there, as well as many other things, um, the milestone XP allows you to therefore set certain things are going to reset at this time. It means that if you have a pause uh, in the game because of external factors, you can go back to it where you left off and say nothing has updated yet. Uh, nothing has changed. Like if you're in the middle of the big one also was like, OK, you're in the middle of a dungeon crawl. You just earned a whole bunch of XP from killing all these monsters, but you're still in deep down deep in the dungeon. You don't have the chance to go and train, learn new things, stuff like that, um, which in the factor of, again, with cybernetic talents, it might not make sense for you to get an upgrade in the middle of a mission or a heist. So by milestone XP, you prevent that spontaneous uh, advancement that doesn't make any narrative sense in the mission or in the adventure that's going on currently. Yeah. Like it's a simple concept, but I love that you kind of formalized it. (laughs) And as much as I'm not one for, to require formalized rules, I like that you did. <laughs> no, I hard agree. Hard agree on the milestone. I, I, man, the per session stuff is so out of whack. Cause if you're not playing four hour, at least sessions, what are you giving out for XP 10? Mm-hmm. Like what, what are we talking? Yeah. At that point, the, the, the five per hour becomes a little challenged. Right. Yeah. And and especially if you're playing short sessions, and we've seen this happen in some of the games that we've played in, you can suddenly end up with very high-powered characters, yep. even though you haven't actually done that much. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the good old thing of, uh, this is especially true of uh, my vampire games back in the day, of, okay, it's been a week, and you've all, because we've done nonstop adventuring and role-playing and stuff like that, you've all now earned 50 XP. <laughs> Um, you are significantly more powerful than a starting character, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So here we are. How else do I put this? Nope. I'm looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm excited for this. And now do you want to talk about some of the other stuff we talked about before we started the show proper? Or is, are you keeping that under your hat for now? Uh, I'm trying to think of what else we can tease. So uh, the product we came out with, many years ago now, uh, legwork and larceny, uh, mm-hmm. was created with this in mind. Uh, basically it was like, first I have to come up with how to do a heist properly. If I'm going to create a heist focused setting and talking with my, uh, friend and work colleague over at Fossa games, Morgan weeks, that he gave me a nugget of an idea. It's like, this is my rough concept of an idea about how to do heist properly. So take that nugget and develop it into something awesome. And that's where legwork and larceny came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of the Genesis podcasts, uh, um, finding the narrative, uh, did a review on it at one point. Uh, and the funny thing was one thing that he highlighted was up at the top of the chart of how the GM can spend their hitches to make complications in the heist to go wrong for the PCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most, co- the most costly one on the chart was the employer turns on the players. And that was one specifically called out by Morgan to me in the fact of like, this has to be the most expensive one because they need to have that sense of dread as they're going through the job and nothing goes horribly wrong. Like, this is a cakewalk. What's going on? (laughs) And it all goes sour at the end. That's beautiful. (laughs) I never thought of it in that context, but yeah, that's, that is a hundred percent right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's the, the fun part of, uh, the, the big other big goal is to take the adversarial role uh, or adversary uh, PC versus JM mentality out of the heist um, or out of, uh, you know, trap modules, whatever you want to call them, where the GM can always say, I got you because you didn't say this or didn't say that or whatever. Like Because Genesis is a much more narrative game, uh, Legwork and Narcity encourages it to be 
you know, I have these many hitches, I'm spending on these. Your research has, has shown you that you have three or four obstacles to overcome. And I have spent my hitches to create a mystery obstacle. So if you can potentially find out what that mystery obstacle is, you can overcome that too, and you get through the heist, no problem. And that's a good way to, that's what I started doing when I was running the modules at Gamer Nation Con or online and playtesting, uh, just like spell it out for them so that they know what their goals and objectives are. And they were able to do it uh, one way or another. Either they got around it, which is just fine, or they, uh, you know, around it, powered through it, or took it out. And some of those created were extremely creative <laughs> methods in which they did it. I can say with good confidence that no two teams did it the exact same way in either of the heists that I ran in the one module, um, the uh, the lullaby module. Punch me in the face and throw me out of the van. That's still my favorite. <laughs> that is, I still, after they've decided how to do that particular side of it, I then tell the story of Steve saying, I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, Jesse saying, no, punch me in the face and throw me out of the van. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. It's it so really good. It, it's just one of my favorite moments in gaming history. Like, it is one of my favorite moments in my gaming history of, what did you do? Well, we punched him in the face and threw him out of the van. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, <what>? yeah, <laughs> Nightingale effect is a whole thing. <laughs> It's not, what's the, what's the saying? It's not stupid if it works. Right. It's either stupid or brave and it depends on how it ends up. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm excited to see, you know, look, I'm really excited to see this product. I'm excited to see what else you do with it too. If, if you, you know, have plans to go further with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. One big thing uh, you mentioned that this is very riffs-ish, which is absolutely true. But it's also a lot of Judge Dread inspired, and I also mentioned the um, the Blades of the Dark angle of keeping you inside the city. Um, mm-hmm. What we found, however, was a lot of people's creative juices got flowing when they started thinking about all the weird critters that we could have outside the city. And I'm like, okay, mm. that's great, but we're making a heist game. <laughs> 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 so I'll be like, wrote it down as we were coming up with it, but then we kind of refocused and focused on inside the city first. Uh, but we think it's very likely that at some point we're going to come up with an expansion for, so you want to go outside the walls. Here's all the various things that are going to happen to you and why nobody does it, <laughs> um, which is not entirely true. There is a, there's basically one of the megacorps is um, the recycling and trash disposal megacorp um, reclamations incorporated that part of their job is in fact to go out and scrounge material from nearby destroyed cities and stuff like that and bring it into the city repurpose it or if they find like really lost lost relics from the previous world uh then they will auction those off or find a buyer somehow to make a profit off uh Mm -hmm. so the wilds or some other catchy name that we come up with later uh maybe a future release product okay okay very cool that actually brings up one fun thing as well so of course you know the normal genesis skill list Mm-hmm. and how each of them have a little thing of like, this is recommended for this setting or that setting or all settings should have these things. Uh, we actually have a little sidebar next to the skills saying obsolete skills, which is to say there are a whole, there's a couple of skills that really are not known by the general populace, namely survival. People don't know how to live off the wilds outside anymore. They know how to live in the city. Um, you can do survival tricks as far as like living off the, you know, living on the streets you know, finding other ways to find shelter, water, food, and stuff like that. But that's streetwise. That's not survival out in the wilderness. That's wonderful. <laughs> that is, but but it's it's like I was talking about with the talent trees, how they enforce the tone of the setting. Yep. This is another thing where, and and I feel like this is where system design, people say you can play anything in any system. And mm-hmm. technically that's true. But this is where some of those tweaks, some of those things that you do make a system better for a given setting or tone than others. Right. <clears throat> and and, and in, in this case, you know, you're modifying a system to enhance its its tone, enhance your setting. But I think that was kind of the point. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And 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 I don't think and and I don't want to say this. It's going to sound like I'm I'm 
talking down on people, you know, other designers, and it's not what I'm trying to do. But I, I think that kind of nuance level, a lot of people just don't consider it. They go, oh, this is cool, and this is cool, and this is cool, so I want all this. And they don't realize that sometimes what you don't have is as important as what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, example of this, I remember hearing an interview with, and I'm blanking on the guy's name but now, but the guy who designed Mothership. And in okay. the original edition of Mothership, the, the Ashcan version that was out for a long time, not the one that had the big Kickstarter, there was no stealth skill. Oh, wow. Which, on its, the surface, you think, this is a game intended to do space survival horror. Why wouldn't you have a stealth skill? <laughs> okay. But he explained it in terms that he felt like you saying you wanted to hide under the table should have a narrative impact that you don't have a way to game the system on. Mm-hmm. And so he intentionally did not put that skill in the system because he didn't want it mechanized to be able to be gamed. Interesting. Okay. So you can actually stealth. You just can't do it mechanically. You can't roll for stealth. Okay. There's an old D&D term that kind of relates to this of if you stat it, they will kill it. Yes. Yep. Uh, and it it's kind of the same idea. <laughs> if you If you were to put a stealth skill in there, people are going to focus on that and think that is the point. Right. And, and you're missing it. <laughs> yeah, and your your monster will fail the roll at just the wrong time. Yep. And you will curse that they have that ability. Uh Steve, was it Sean McCoy? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and I, I don't remember where I heard the interview with him. It might have been on Mud and Blood. Okay. But uh I, I remember him specifically saying that the exclusion of a stealth skill was a conscious choice. Absolutely. You know, no, that's and, clever. <laughs> And, you know, like I said, I think in a lot of ways that ties into what you know, like what you do. You said you're excluding survival, you're obsoleting skills to say, look, this is what the world is like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just feel like that is an opportunity that I think a lot of people don't consider in, in mm-hmm. design. You know, sometimes what you intentionally don't put in or take out is as important as what you do put in. Yeah. Um, part of that is actually because we, Part of the reason that this has taken so long to come out is because mechanics I can do really fast. So I came with a whole bunch of mechanics for how to do magic, how to do combat level hacking, which I'm calling what we call wijacking. Um, I came with a handful of talents to imitate cyberware and stuff like that. Um, but then I ran into the wall of, okay, sooner or later I need to follow a narrative. So I need a setting to work it in. We had the bare bones of a setting, so I knew some of the stuff, but we needed more. So then we diverted from the rules and went deep into the setting stuff and developed more and more and more and more. And that really led me to, to understand that, like, okay, the current generation of, no matter, even if you're particularly old, you've never stepped outside the city as a player. So these things just aren't, have not been available to you for your entire life. So they're not skills that are available to you. There are these other things that you're particularly good at and these other things that weren't available before the storms and before the city, like uh, artificing, uh, which is essentially magical crafting. Uh, it's the magical mechanic skill um, mm-hmm. to be able to make up either magic items or potions, one-shot things. One of the favorite things that I came up with earlier on, so one of our magic skills is based on utilizing uh, crystals to essentially create a harmonic field to remove all the chaos of magic, except for this one thing. And that's the spell that you're casting. Okay. So I took the idea of, okay, if crystals can have magic and crystals are also the, the, the uh, logical method of working magic, so it's re- reproducible, easier by megacorps. So there could be products using magically charged crystals. Well, some people are going to want to use these crystals to, again, prevent magic. That's what the entire walls are empowered with, um, is having, you know, nullifying magic crystals around them to keep the wild magic at bay. Some people want even more than that. So they developed a a product called warding tape, which is basically a roll of duct tape with a line of salt down the middle, which creates a ward, a little temporary ward that you can set up by just taping a circle around yourself. Or you put it in the corner along the the roof line, the ceiling line of your place. And now, okay, this room is now 
slightly better worded. Duct tape and salt is a magic Faraday cage. I love it. Yep. Um, because for all those people who are fans of Supernatural, they all know that putting down a salt of circle, uh, a circle of salt, is a great defense against you know ghosts and a couple other magical things. But almost every single time, they threw open a window and the salt got blown, and therefore the circle was broken. So therefore, you put it on a line of duct tape, and it's not going to get blown away. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Another popular one that I've heard is to fill a hula hoop with salt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve, that that has your name all over it. Yeah, I I could see myself. I could see myself doing some things with the uh, salt warding and and just the fact that it's just it just has to be a circle. It doesn't have to be uh, you know, touching anything in particular. Oh, right. Gosh. Okay, so I'm just going to this is now my brain goes to something like what if you had like a collapsible, like a hose filled with salt, right? Not sure. super full, but you carry it around, fold it up in your pocket, and you get up in, a, in some sort of encounter against a mage, and you whip this out, and you strap it over his head. <laughs> Just carry it around like a lasso. Sure. Make a cowboy character and have, all right, I fill this garden hose with salt. And I'm just going to lasso that guy. <laughs> Bolos with a salt-filled hose. in the Oh, middle. no. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no. That was, that was another angle of it is like this is a, a, poor, man, a poor person's way of you know taping up and restraining a mage uh, so they don't pull any shenanigans while you're questioning them. Oh, the fun. That... <laughs> <laughs> the possibilities. The possibilities. That's oh, fun. I'm so excited. Yes. So excited. And and so this is going to come out Black Friday. No. Or not Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I'm so Cyber sorry. Monday because it's Cyber Monday because it's absolutely we were ta- we were talked about Black Friday briefly and we're like mm, uh, or, um or we do Cyber Monday and that's just perfect. <laughs> so for those of you trying to put this together, this will be this will drop the Tuesday before Cyber Monday. So this if all goes oh, this, as planned, this recording, yes, yes, this recording will come out the Tuesday before Cyber Monday. So this will be the last episode that comes out before the game is released, mm-hmm. which is excellent timing. Thank you very much for having me on for that. <laughs> <laughs> which was completely by accident, I will admit. <laughs> well, I was, I was definitely planning on reaching out to you, uh, like at the launch, so we could talk about it and have this conversation then. But I love serendipity; she's my favorite muse. Well, I was just happy because the chaos of life happened and um, it's still going to be a challenge to get this one edited because of stuff I have going on, but we'll make it work. Okay. Uh, Uh, What else can I throw at you? Um, As another thing to tease, uh, we also have new rules for cyber combat um, uh for because the stuff they put out in Android, uh, I've tried it. I did not like it. Um, I found it required a bit too much in the way of uh, GM prep to run off the off the cuff, uh, and it is essentially boiled down to rocks paper scissors. <laughs> if you had the right icebreaker when you went into the new section, when you ran into some ice, you pretty much were automatically going to beat that ice. So yeah, it was basically just, and there were only three types of ice, so it was rocks paper scissors. And if you actually had the icebreaker that counted for all three types i'm not sure what the challenge is anymore you know just don't fail (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well i hacking is such a hard thing to do in a role-playing game yes which is partially why it's being called cyber combat because the other thing that i really missed from the the android method of doing it was doing damage to the other person's avatar or as I, i like to call it uh it didn't let me punch the other person in the digital face (laughs) So that's why it's called cyber combat, because it's basically the combat rules with some slightly different. uh, It's essentially using zones because that's the different servers that you're in Mm -hmm. and your adversaries are not just other sysops and their avatars, but also ice are just adversaries as opposed to this, you know, wall that you need to ice break through. Uh, But the challenge there was also if you don't want to make it a straight up fight, because if you're getting into a fair fight, something has gone horribly wrong. Uh, especially as a digital thief like hackers really are, we had to come up with other ways of like, okay, so you don't want to make it a direct conflict. You want to stealth your way by or sleaze. 
uh, or maybe you want to impersonate someone who belongs there. So you're deceiving your way, that sort of thing. So we had to come up with a couple of different ways to make someone be able to personalize it to their particular hacker. And I think we did a really good job of that while also keeping it on the same time frame as a regular structured encounter combat session. Mm-hmm. So you can have things going on simultaneously. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The, it's just like you, it is, there are so many challenges that get into that, that it's just, it's a hard thing to execute well in a game. Agreed. Uh, and I still have yet to play through a session of Cyberpunk Red that actually used the network, uh, the hacking rules there. Um, yeah. Hopefully uh, tomorrow I actually get to do it. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine just started up a game. We had our first session and we're having our second session tomorrow. Uh, so I'm hoping that the hacker gets to have some hacking fun. Yeah, there were some changes to that that I liked. I, I mm-hmm. still, it still feels like it's a bit of a mini game. Oh, it absolutely is. And that's okay. The big thing is that the mini game isn't taking up its own session with only one person getting to play. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I, I've run the game a little bit, but I've not used the cyber, the, the, the hacking rules yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, you know, the, the, the hacking rules in 2020 were <sighs> obtuse. <laughs> to say the least. Legendarily obtuse. <laughs> well, although in fairness, they were also designed before the internet that is now ubiquitous was. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> there comes a little bit of, you know, forgiveness, I think, there because how do you know what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's a matter of your world building. So you get to say how it happens. Oh, right, um, right. But, but yeah, at the same time, it could have been a simpler system that a, lo- a lot of the hacking games these days are definitely trying to get the hacker in the door uh, to be with the rest of the party. So there's less of the, the hacker gets his session and then the rest of the, the rest of the team has their session. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a big goal that I'm trying for here. Um, and Unfortunately, from my uh, from my little bit of testing with it, it kind of comes down to uh, it's still kind of really yeah. There is still a component of the GM has to run it with that in mind, with that goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you set it up in the fact of like they are the only way to, if you run into a dead end that only the hacker can fix, then you're going to have the hacker get a moment to shine. But if it takes him particularly long to do that, then it can become a only the hacker show mm-hmm. uh, if there aren't other things for the rest of the party to do at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's still a bit of a challenge on the GM, but hopefully the mechanical side is more uh, allowing of such things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, hey, look, I, I, I'm really excited to, to kind of see it and try and digest it, you know, fully um, mm-hmm. add it to my list of things that I want to read and do something with. <laughs> Which is very, very long. To my I shame. understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, this went to the top of the list. Um, I, I, I don't care. This is, um, this is the next thing I'm running. This is going to be my con game. This is going to be my life for a little while. I would be very interested to play your con game of this game. I am. Uh, <laughs> well, I wasn't planning on bringing it to Gamer Nation Con, but here's the official announcement. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, oh, I don't know if I told you to, at the last Gamer Nation Con, I had the pleasure of getting to run this for Sam Gregor Stewart. Yes. Um, and he started off the fact of, you know, he'd love to play the game, but generally speaking, he does not care for uh, systems or settings that mix their uh, sci-fi and their magic at the same time, their sci-fi mm-hmm. and their fantasy. Uh, you know, keep your chocolate and peanut butter separate sort of thing. Um, he had a great time. Uh, he was a, he was the hitter that you also played, Steve. Okay. Um, and he did some amazing things with his guns and the flashback talent and stuff like that. And he walked away from the table really loving this setting, really loving the flashback and legwork and larceny mechanics. Not just to me, but apparently I then heard from GM Chris that he was still talking about it like an hour later, <laughs> like in the car or whatever <laughs> like that. Um, and then later on, uh, I run into him again. And we talk about it some more and he has this moment of deep thought and he leans back and he puts his hand on his chin and he says, I may have to steal that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's 
probably the best compliment I'm going to get here. <laughs> oh, but that's cool. That really is. Oh, that's awesome. And that is awesome. A lot of it is still, yeah, a lot of it came from Morgan Weeks, as I said, so it's kind of borrowed. And a lot of it came from inspiration from Blades in the Dark. So that's borrowed. So now he just needs something blue and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <sighs> but yes, Cyber Monday. If I get all my layout done on time and I'm a good little boy, you'll have it in your hot little hands. Uh, we haven't figured out a dollar value yet, but it'll be on DriveThruRPG. Uh, you can go to studio404games.com to find some uh, vignettes that we've written up, uh, a couple a bit piece of our art, uh, links to our social medias where you can see other... We are planning to chat a bit about our uh, artists and show off more of our art that we uh, had commissioned for us, namely... Um, the species that we created and the megacorps have logos that we had someone to create. Uh, also, we don't have a we don't have a date for it yet, but uh, GM Phil is beginning to put together a team to run a live stream recording of a session of Anarchy and Dragon City uh, that we're hoping to at least shoot sometime uh, in December, uh, maybe January, and then get out uh, to air as soon as possible after that. Very cool. Very so cool. if you stay following us on socials, you'll get uh, the heads up on that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to shout out while we're shouting things out? Uh, I'd like to shout you two out, actually, um, because I really appreciate you two uh, keep mentioning me or us, uh, the Studio 404 team, um, just randomly throughout your show. Um, I really appreciate okay. that you're some of our uh, most vocal fans, at the very least, if not the the biggest fans. You got me a gaming hat. <laughs> Which I have temporarily misplaced, but it's around here somewhere. I, I was wondering, I did not see it on your head. <laughs> and now we're going to go on a tour of Steve's apartment. <laughs> Into the void. No, uh, honestly, man, you, you guys make so many good products. You you have some of the best products in Genesis and in anything, and that's why we keep shouting you out. Plus, you're great people. You're, I love talking <laughs> yes. to you guys. Like, honest, honest, honestly, you are great people. I really appreciate that. It he helps, found it. It helps keeping the keep the gas going. Yeah, I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you know we can do our part to. Hey, I recognize you. <laughs> <laughs> there i found it it was literally like eight inches from my hand yeah. well yeah. i mean like i said you like steve said you're, you make great stuff you're good people it, you're fun to game with mm -hmm. uh, and actually i was just thinking we were talking about this how much anarchy and dragon city could be really good for the game that you guys chose not to play at gamer nation con the other scenario that i had prepped the other cyberpunk red yes okay which yeah, was, we did um the mall the murder murder mall, mall. yeah yes which i mean we had fun it wasn't the the most cyberpunk overall but i thought it, it it very you know i've talked about it before very much inspired by like running man yes yeah <clears throat> um which i feel like it, it is a a cyberpunky theme has a lot of cyberpunk themes to it doesn't have the internet and and such as much but you know but no, the, the other one is, um, I think I mentioned this to you while we were down there. I stumbled across this movie from the 80s called Black Moon Rising. Okay. With Tommy Lee Jones and Linda Hamilton. And it's not at all a cyberpunk movie, but it feels like a great cyberpunk story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the summary is uh, a thief, Quint, is hired by the Justice Department to steal incriminating tapes from a corrupt corporation. Okay, that's plenty cyberpunk already. Uh, the tapes vanish when Quint hides them in the back of a hydrodynamic-powered racing car that is stolen by a hot car ring. Okay. Yeah. It's actually not a bad film for when you see the date and see who's in it, you kind of go, well... Like, Tommy Lee Jones is... Great as a villain. Color in his hair. But. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it came out in 86 from the look of it. That sounds right. I actually think it, it, it has some inspiration that it inspired some of the Fast and the Furious movies. 
or scenes in the Fast and the Furious movies. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, Linda Hamilton's in it, so it's already cyberpunky enough for you. <laughs> but uh, yeah. All right. Very, very cool stuff. <laughs> well, uh, do you guys want to move into Game of the Week? Ooh, Game of the Week. Woohoo! <laughs> Game of the Week. Game of the Week. I, we don't need to explain how this works to you. No. Uh, <laughs> um, I, in fact, already have it up and ready now. Well, since you have it up and ready, go for it. Oh, okay. So, welcome to Game of the Week, where we, <laughs> as the Steves, start talking about all the new games that we love, or songs that we have encountered recently that we want to promote. And uh, this week on Drive Through RPG, they're doing the Teach Your Kids to Game Week. Uh, I've, the past couple of years, uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and she has a couple of nine-year-old twin cousins uh, and my Christmas present to them for the past couple of years has been to run a game for them of one fashion or another. Uh, so last year they were actually old enough to start trying fifth edition D and D, which went over mostly well, uh, until the Druid discovered that he wasn't particularly great inside of a building. Uh, so we've got a little frustration there, but right now I'm looking at, uh, the dark crystal adventure game, uh, from river horse games. Uh, I loved the Dark Crystal growing up. I have not shown it to the kid yet. It might be about her age group now. Um, I don't know if either of you saw the uh, the Netflix series that was the prequel to it. Uh, it wasn't horrible. It was still using puppets very well. Uh, but to a certain degree, they tried to do intrigue and drama with puppets that can't inflect very well. Mm-hmm. So it sort of fell flat, but the the world building of it of a time that you didn't really have. But like uh, if you did a bunch of research into the Dark Crystal, you saw a bunch of drawings. Uh, there was a book that came out about it that had a bunch of drawings and stencils and sketches of things that were in the world that were either in the backdrop of the movie that didn't get any attention paid to them whatsoever. But he had all this detail on it and the history of the world, stuff like that. You got to see that build up uh, and get some screen time in the show. So for the world building, the show was worth it all by itself. The intrigue less so (laughs) fair. Uh, But I am curious if I get them to watch the dark crystal and then I run this for them, how well that'll, and it's on sale right now for 2239. Aha. Um, But it looks very pretty as dark crystal is wont to do. Yeah. I was introduced mm-hmm. to that series uh, by a friend who was like, uh, or I say series, but I was introduced to that movie when it was just a movie to mm-hmm. a friend that was like, you need to watch this and then we're going to watch Labyrinth right afterwards. Yes. Excellent and, twofer. And I'm like, okay, and because I was a huge um, triple feature, make it a triple feature. You watch Never Ending Story, you watch Dark Crystal, you watch Labyrinth. Damn I was right. a huge never-ending story fan. They were like, you're going to love this. And I was like, ah, it's too fantasy for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved Labyrinth. I loved Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's interesting. Awesome. So maybe it's a matter of because both of them had a real-world element to it? I think it's... I don't know. There was something about Dark Crystal that kept pulling me out, and I really don't know what it was. I think <laughs> it's because Labyrinth is a... a bit of a darker movie per se like in tone oh yeah Mm -hmm. and i think dark crystal was too light in tone for me and i kept getting pulled out of it i just plus fantasy is not i i run D barely i run it in eberron (laughs) for a reason like it's not my setting it's not my go-to so i don't know and i know labyrinth is pretty hard fantasy but 90 percent of that movie isn't it's weird creepy wandering the feeling of loss and dread. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, um, I could expound on this greater. Than... Yeah. That'd be an interesting conversation. That is not game of the week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I've been talking a good bit and my throat's feeling all right, I'll go ahead and take the next slot. If that's okay, Steve. All right. I have one. That's neither a game. Uh, that's not really a game. It is, it is a, um, System agnostic, but it's pretty clear what system they're aiming for setting sort of setting document. 
Okay. Maybe series of prompts is a better way of, of describing it. I'm throwing okay. it in the green room here. Oh, oh, there we go. That is the anomaly index file one. So this is, it's a systemless compendium of modern conspiratorial or conspiracy, conspiratorial ideas suitable for contemporary horror and conspiracy role-playing games. Um, it's a bunch of prompts for like Delta green. <laughs> Delta green. Um, Oh, uh, call it Cthulhu. Unknown armies. Unknown army. Yeah. Uh, you could do like you could use it in cyberpunk. You could use it in. There's so many things you could use this for. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's a really. I found myself picking it up. It's four dollars for the PDF. I picked it up alone just so that like I do plan on running a longer form Delta Green game. When mm-hmm. I get into that, I would love to have this for the weeks that I can't come up with a you know, what's the monster of the week, Scully? I don't know. Let's crack this open and take a look at it. Like, yeah. Oh God. This I, came I, out I, yesterday. I'm good for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah we, we are good for that. This um, was Stygian Fox too. Yeah. Reputation. Exactly. That was the other thing. Um, but this, this just looks awesome. Yes, it does. And it, you know, really great art for what it is. Like, surprisingly good art for a book that's just a compendium of you know stories and prompts and ideas but yeah this might work really good with uh cold city too even though it's older cold cities uh i could see this working with like mutant city blues yeah um i could see this working with it's it works with pretty much any um contemporary like i could see this working with any like they say contemporary you know horror or even just intrigue mm-hmm. settings i don't know i think this is pretty cool man so again yeah, that's yeah. the anomaly anomaly index file one because half the challenge of that stuff is coming up with the characters and their dynamics and stuff like that so if somebody's done that much uh of the heavy lifting i can put stats on it later <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. well yeah i i, I exactly so yeah, this looks awesome. I'm <sighs> curious to see how many more they make. Like, this seems to be the first in a series. Yeah, me as well, because I am all over this stuff. I have been a sucker for some some good generic supplemental stuff. And it's so nice to have stuff that's system agnostic. It's just like, mm-hmm. we didn't build this around a particular system, but we had certain systems in mind. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a genre book. It's not a system book, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. But that is mine. All right, Steve, what do you got? All right. Well, I have the nemesis of our collective attention span. Uh oh. Oh, dear. I have a game about squirrels. <laughs> I was just sitting outside watching a squirrel. The dog was barking, and I was like, what are you barking at? And then we sat there and watched it for like 10 minutes. So I found a game. This came out a week ago. It is called the Warriors of Walnut Woods. And I think this is part of that, that kids gaming sale. It's on sale right now for 50 cents. Normal price is only $2 and 50 cents. Oh, that's a light. That's a 15 page says the rule. Basic rule system fits on one page. There's rules for creating your own squirrel hero. You know, there's some sample quests. There's tips for running it you know, as a regular game, like at your local game store, right? Build as a little mini game. Well, one of the things our group has done kind of, you know, be it we're missing a person, whatever, we've started running some of these little one-page, 200-word games, whatever, and we've had a blast with them, you know? So I saw this, and I went, and this field, it's a, the, the, the pitch is, you know, it says, Walnut Wood is a serene and unassuming habitat where squirrels coexist peacefully. Nevertheless, peace is the delicate balance that is threatened by lurking monsters and evils just beyond the borders of the wood. This is where the West Guard comes into play. This team of skilled heroes is trained to patrol the Walnut Wood and protect its inhabitants from harm. You are a member of the Walnut Guard. You know, you've just graduated from the training academy, blah, 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 blah. Look, you're squirrel cops. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, this is, I mean... It, it it looks sweet and wonderful and, and peaceful for kids or 
this is the game that you play with all your hyper theoretically grown up friends. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, like, like you, me and Hagen playing this game or, or, or uh, Terry too. This could get Terry, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, that's bad. That's that's terrible. Uh, we I have think maybe Jesse should run this game. <laughs> well, I was gonna say we have to get somebody that's regulated to run this game, right? Like we we can't have another uh, another ADHD or running this. It can't it can't be that way. <laughs> I know that might be the only way they can keep uh, up with it. And the art is really cute in this too. It is. Uh, that is some totally not Disney stuff. No. Great. That's great. Great. Oh. Yeah, that might get I think they just recently oh. bought that one. <laughs> and 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 you can be a flying squirrel. Uh well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. We're so excited about the game. We are so excited about the game. Same here. <laughs> I'm very excited to see the reactions to it. Yeah, and as always, links to everything mentioned are in the show notes. Patreon, Discord, uh, Facebook, Twitter. If you can't support us on Patreon, give us a like on whatever app you're listening to us to. Send us to a friend, you know, come join the Discord at the very least. And as always, we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. for the cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.